Well, good evening and uh, good Friday. It's good to see you all. My name's Trevor Cook. I'm the youth director here at Deer Creek Church. And uh, as Aaron said, we're going to start off tonight by looking at Isaiah 52 and 53. And this, as you guys saw up on the screen, this is a very rich passage, so we're not going to be able to get through everything. But we're going to start off uh, by looking at four things that we kind of see happening in this passage. And that is that Jesus is servant, that, that is that Jesus is sufferer, uh, he is the sacrifice, and that he is our Savior. And so before we dive into this passage tonight, let's bow our heads and let's go to our Heavenly Father in prayer right now. Will you join me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your son Jesus, the man of sorrows. God, we thank you for his sacrifice on the cross. Help us right now as we focus in on you, as we focus in on your word. God, we ask that you change us and that you make us new. We love you, God, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, as many of you guys know, Good Friday is about Jesus and it's about the cross. And tonight's passage is really cool because uh, as we look back on the cross tonight's and our Savior, uh, this passage of Scripture, these passages of Scripture actually look forward to the day when the Savior would come. And so I just want to start off by briefly talking a little bit about who Isaiah was. As uh, Aaron said, he was a prophet, which means he was a mouthpiece for God. And he spoke to the Israelites, the will of God and the things that God had commanded him to say and to share. Uh, he wrote this book, as Aaron said, uh, roughly 700 years before Jesus actually came to this earth. And so when we look at these passages, what we see is uh, a lot of these things just parallel, uh, being parallel with the life of Jesus Christ. And so I want to start off tonight by looking at the first one, and that is that Jesus is servant. Jesus is servant, and it says in Isaiah 52, uh, it says this, Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. And so we, we, know, that we know this, those of us who read our Bibles and go to church, that in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we see Jesus as clearly a servant. Right? That's a big part of who he is. And in the Old Testament, though, when they would have heard these words from Isaiah, they would have been a little bit confused because uh, a lot of times David was, King David was the one who was referred to as God's servant. So when they looked ahead to the Messiah, what they would have thought was somebody like David. They would have thought someone who was, you know, a political force or a military force. What they would not have guessed was Jesus Christ. What they would not have guessed was this man from Nazareth. And so this is completely different than they would have suspected. Uh, and yet what we see is that Jesus serves in a very different way, in a very different capacity than maybe David did. Jesus uh, served people in various different ways, in, very diff diff uh, in various times, and also uh, he, he served them in ways that nobody else had. Jesus served men and women and children. He served Jews and Gentiles. He served the powerful and the powerless. He served the wealthy and the poor. And he showed no partiality in any of that. He served people by going from town to town and sharing the good news of the gospel. He spent time with people. He ate meals with them. He listened to them. He cared for them. And he helped them. And he changed their lives by being in their presence. He served people by casting out demons, healing the sick, giving the blind sight, giving the lame the ability to walk, 
feeding the hungry and surrounding himself with those who were outcasts in society. He was, by all accounts, the ultimate servant. And it's interesting to see that even though the disciples of Jesus uh, lived life with him and did life with him, that they still struggled, even as his disciples, to grasp this concept. In Mark chapter 10, two of his disciples go to Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, we have a request for you. Uh, will, will you grant it? And, he, and he's like, what is it? And the disciples say, hey, when we are in heaven, will we, uh, can one of us sit on your right hand, the other one on your left? Where, from your point of view, it's the other way. But uh, can we sit on your right hand and on your left? And so back in that time, we know that to sit at a king's right hand or on a king's left hand, that was status. That meant that you were um, in, a, in a position of authority um, or, you know, you were counseling the king and you were seen as somebody. You were a somebody. And so basically these two disciples were trying to distinguish themselves from the other disciples and from everybody else. They're trying to elevate themselves and what does Jesus say? He says, hey, rather than you worrying about your place in heaven, instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And Jesus not only said this, right? He actually lived this out. Jesus was not born uh, an emperor. Jesus was not born as royalty in the Roman Empire during this time. Jesus didn't have wealth. He didn't have luxury. He didn't have status. In fact, even amongst his own people, he was a nobody. Which is why in Isaiah 53, 2, the prophet says, he had no former majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. Meaning that Jesus wasn't, you know, uh, he wasn't handsome like King David, or he wasn't totally jacked like Samson. Like he, like we, there's nothing that would have drawn our eye. He wasn't Brad Pitt. He, nothing was drawing our eye to him. Nothing. He was a lower class carpenter and a carpenter's kid who lived in a small town that nobody cared about. Absolutely nobody cared about. And this was our, this is the son of God who lived in eternity in heaven with his heavenly father. He left all of that to take on flesh so that he could serve us. And so as Christians, or even as non-Christians, this is an absolutely marvelous reality for us. And this should also inform us as Christians. Just as Jesus served us, we are to serve others. Just as Jesus calls us to be servants and slaves of all, so was Jesus the Apostle Paul wrote in his letter uh, to the church in Galatia, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, he encourages the church there. He says, for you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. Through love, serve one another. And we don't do this for ourselves, but we do this to the glory of God. We do this for his glory because of what Jesus did for us. And the reason why Paul wrote these words is because this is exactly who Jesus was. This is exactly who he was. Next, we see Isaiah write about how Jesus is sufferer in these passages. So Jesus is the sufferer. In Isaiah 53, verse 3, he says that he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken and smitten by God and afflicted. 
So as this passage prophesies, Jesus suffered, right? He suffered persecution when he went from town to town, sharing the gospel, healing people and performing miracles. He was rejected. He suffered doubt and rejection from his own family who thought he was losing his mind and absolutely crazy. Like, Jesus, stop what you're doing. What are you doing? He suffered in the Garden of Gethsemane when he was praying to his heavenly father saying, please remove this cup of wrath from me. Not my will, though, your will be done. He suffered betrayal from his friend Judas, who was one of his 12 disciples. He suffered from false accusations and a bogus trial in front of the Sanhedrin. He suffered from being on the cross. He suffered from being abandoned by his disciples. Jesus suffered when his heavenly father abandoned him on the cross as well. And when, that's why he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he suffered when his heavenly father put on him the sins and the iniquities and the transgressions of us all. Jesus suffered. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. As Isaiah says in 53, 7, he prophesied, uh, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. One commentary actually says on this passage that animals go as uncomprehending to the slaughter as to shearing, which shearing is to take the wool off of a sheep, right? But the servant who knew all things beforehand went to death with a calm silence that reflected not an uncomprehending mind, but a mind that was submitted and a tongue that was submitted to the will of God. Meaning Jesus didn't go to that cross begrudgingly. Jesus went willingly. He went willingly and joyfully. Another commentary on this passage says, going to the cross didn't show Jesus's weakness. It didn't show that he was out of control. In fact, it exercised, it showed his, uh, his power and it exercised complete control. Complete control over his life. And so in the same way that Jesus suffered, right? He lived his life in this way. He was mirroring our existence, right? Like we all suffer. We all are going through really tough times. We suffer physically, right? There's different things that we suffer from physically, emotionally. We suffer physically like, like we're getting older, right? Things start breaking down. And you can laugh at that. That's okay. My, my dad actually came into town uh, this week and he brought with him uh, some of my old basketball games from when I was in high school. And I was really pumped because I was like, ah, I get to you know, relive the glory days and feel good about myself. And I started watching them and I was quickly uh, really upset because uh, I was in really good shape. Like before this, I was in really good shape. <laughs> and I had a body that wouldn't quit. And then it just decided to retire. So... As we all get old, right, we suffer uh, from physical things as we all get older. And not only do we go through this, Jesus also suffered physically, right? We see that. He, we suffer mentally. Like we're overwhelmed with the cares of the world, right? We're stressed out. We are anxious about things going on in our lives. Like I just got married a year ago and I can't believe that her father lets me uh, take care of her. That like he trusted me. Like I, I, I oversee somebody else now and I just can't believe that that's the case. That's really stressful that I don't have to take care of myself but somebody else now. <laughs> that's absolutely terrifying. 
And then we were, we were dumb enough to get a house. We bought a house, which in this market is a blessing, but still it's super stressful. And then we got a dog and that's the, you know, the young married couple's mistake, but we're really excited about her. She's amazing. And when we have children, we'll be like, all right, good, go over there now. Um, and that's the other thing is that we want to bring children into this world. Like, what? <laughs> like, I'm already so mentally exhausted that I can't even tell you. Like, I've, I haven't slept better, but I'm also mentally exhausted. And we all suffer from, right, mental exhaustion or, you know, we suffer physically or mentally. We also suffer emotionally. We've all been, we've all been beaten up by people from our past or maybe even people from our present. And so we, we suffer those emotional scars and we carry those things with us. And then lastly, we, we, we suffer spiritually. We can't avoid spiritual suffering. We wrestle with questions about good and evil. We, we, we wrestle with doubt and death and the afterlife. And we also, for those of us who are Christians, we are like, man, why do I keep struggling with the sin? Like, what the heck? Why can't I get over this? Why can't I overcome this? And we're plagued with that. And we ask, where is God? Why isn't God helping me? Why isn't he strengthening me? What am I to do? And so as a culture, we'll work really hard so that we don't suffer. We will work really hard and buy a lot of things and spend a lot of money so that we don't suffer in some of these other areas. But what we can't avoid is spiritual suffering. We see that with Jesus. He didn't avoid spiritual suffering, so neither can we. Instead, we are to step into it. Our world is plagued with suffering because of sin and evil and brokenness in the world. My goodness, we can't even turn on the TV, right, without seeing that happening. But it's in that anguish and it's in that sorrow that we are able to, weirdly enough, as Christians, remain hopeful. We're able to remain hopeful because we have Christ, our high priest, who in every way was tempted like us, yet he was without sin. He empathizes with our struggles. Even though he was perfect, he did not condemn us. Instead, he had compassion on us. And he continues to have compassion on us. And that's the God that we know, the God that we serve. The Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Because of Christ, we can rejoice in our sufferings. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And yes, we will suffer. But for us, it's God who sustains us. It's God who helps us. It's God who guides us through those really difficult times. Whether it's our own sin that we're wrestling with or the sins of others, right? Because not only does our sin impact us, our sin also impacts others and other people's sin impacts us just as it impacts them. And around and around we go. But Jesus stepped into this because he's the great servant and he's the sufferer. And he's also the sacrifice, which is the next thing that he talks about. In Isaiah 53, 5, 
it says this, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and with his wounds we are healed. I can't imagine those who heard this passage, what they would have thought when they heard that. Coming from Isaiah the prophet, speaking as God is telling him to. You see, Jesus was physically and spiritually crushed for our iniquities. And it's through his punishment on the cross that we have any sort of peace in this life and in the life to come. Through his wounds, we are healed. We owed God a debt because of our transgressions against him. And Jesus took that debt upon himself and went to the cross on our behalf. And because of him, we're no longer sacrificing animals in a temple, right? Like the Israelites did. Jesus, our only hope, did the impossible. He lived a perfect life and he died a horrific death on the cross for us. The whips tore and broke apart his flesh. The nails pierced his skin. And the crown was pushed down onto his head. And he was positioned in such a way that it made it incredibly difficult for him to breathe. Almost impossible for him to breathe. He, he died in agony. And he was our sacrifice. He was our substitute and he took our place, this humiliating and embarrassing way. Because as it says in, in Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 23, it says, for a hanged man is, a cursed, is cursed by God. For a hanged man is cursed by God. Being hung on that tree was a despicable way to die in the Jewish culture. And yet he took that shameful symbol of condemnation and he turned it and he made it our salvation. He hung on the tree, he became the curse on our behalf. And with every moment, every breath on the cross, he bared the weight of sin and guilt. On the cross, the righteous one died for us, the unrighteous. And he went through excruciating pain. He went through incredible amounts of pain that we can't even possibly fathom, right? Physical and spiritual on the cross. But in order for us to really fully grasp what that means on the cross, we have to understand that we did that 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 was us. We are just as guilty as the Romans, just as guilty as the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sanhedrin. Like we are just as guilty. When he went to that cross, it wasn't just present sin or past sin from that moment. It was past, present, and future. Completely changing the world by going to the cross. As Tim Keller, a former pastor in New York City and an author as well, as he once said, Jesus took the tree of death so that you and I could have the tree of life. We have the tree of life. And as people who have been given that, we are to sacrifice ourselves and empty ourselves just as our Savior did, just as Jesus did. The Apostle Paul, again, says in a letter to the church in Philippi, he says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus poured out himself and he emptied himself out on that cross, not so that we could keep being the same people that we were. He did that so that we might be given a new heart so that we might become a new creation. We are not to be the self-centered and selfish people that we naturally can be. 
like I can be. Like I said, I just got married. I thought I wasn't that selfish. And then I got married. I was so wrong. <laughs> I was so wrong. Instead, as Jesus said to his disciples in Mark chapter 8, verse 34, Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. I used to think I'd deny myself a lot. I don't. I really don't. And Jesus actually said this after he predicted his death for the first time in the Gospel of, of Mark. And what Jesus is saying is that we are to daily deny ourselves and our flesh and our sinful desires. Daily. Not just on the weekends. Not just in the morning. Not just in the evening. Daily we are to do this. We are to place our faith in him and we are to take up our cross daily. And Jesus did this so that we might be renewed and regenerated by the Holy Spirit, which has been given to us as a gracious gift. You see, God wants to do something new in you and I. He does. He wants to give you that new heart and make you that new creation who lives in fellowship with him daily. Like we get to live in fellowship with the God of the universe. And this new life is a life of sacrifice. It's a new life of selflessness, not for our glory, but for God's glory. We don't do it for ourselves, to earn brownie points, to make ourselves look good, which is really hard for me because I like when people like me and it's hard when people don't. But we don't do it for that. We don't do it for man. We do it for God. And through Jesus Christ, the, the righteous one, he made us righteous. And it is through him that we have salvation. And one of the things that I love is that, Isaiah, that name Isaiah actually means Yahweh is salvation, which is so cool. And it's something I should have known. I didn't know until I started reading up on this. And so I remember when I was in college and I, I was a religious studies major at the University of Arizona and I studied a lot of different religions. Uh, I studied Judaism, I studied Hinduism, Buddhism, uh, Islam, Mormonism. Uh, I studied Star Wars. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but I, that would have been sweet. Uh, but I studied all those other things. And I remember, I, so I grew up in a Christian home uh, I grew up going to Christian elementary school, Christian middle school, Christian high school. Uh, I've always been in the church uh, since I can remember, honestly. And I remember starting these classes, studying uh, things like Hinduism or Buddhism or anything like that. I was nervous because I was like, what if I read something or what if I find something out that totally shakes the core of what I believe? What if I come across something that I'm like, oh, no. Like, what if I even learned something about Christianity that I didn't, I was like, oh, my goodness, I didn't even know that. I was a youth director at the time, by the way. <laughs> it's like, huh, it's kind of scary, a lot of pressure. But the good news is that nothing compares to the glorious gospel that we have in Jesus Christ. And that's so encouraging to be able to, to, to read the Bible, to be able to know Christ. There's nothing quite like it. In, in that time, in that experience, studying for two and a half, three years, these things, the one thing I'm encouraged by is that there's only one way to know God. There's only one way to be reconciled back to God. There's only one way to be restored back to him. There's only one way to eternal life. And there's only one way to be in God's presence. And that is through faith in Jesus Christ. As Jesus said in John chapter 3, verse 16, he says, For God so loved the world, right? This is Jesus. This is Tim Tebow's favorite verse. 
that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For he came into the world not to condemn the world, but to save it. To save it. Jesus came to save. He came to save you. He came to save me. That's our God. He desires to rescue us. He is our king and he is our savior. And there's none like him. This is why we celebrate Good Friday. This is why we celebrate Easter on Sunday. And this is why we come together every single week to worship the Lord. Because we come together corporately and we are reminded of what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. The Apostle Paul writes in the book of Titus, he says this, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might, come, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And this is the gift that God offers us. It is a gift. It's simply that he offers it to us. He has saved us and he has given us the righteousness of his son. And because of him, we are regenerated. We are renewed through the Holy Spirit. And so I want us to conclude with this quote that I, that I kind of stumbled upon as I was preparing for this message and I was reading commentaries for the book of Isaiah. Uh, there's this man named Raymond uh, Ertland. Uh, Jr., who wrote this excellent commentary on, uh, on Isaiah, and he says this, and this is about Isaiah 53. He says, Every one of us needs a scapegoat. In the gospel, Jesus says to us, I am the willing scapegoat of the world. At my cross, it's my professional business to be crushed under the unbearable guilt of others. It's my role to bear away other people's guilt. That's what I do because I love guilty people. If you'll trust me, here's the deal. My only guilt will be yours and your only righteousness will be mine. Friends, that's the, the best offer we're ever gonna get in this lifetime. And so the question is, will you open yourself to allowing this good news to change you and transform you? Will you allow Jesus Christ to come in and to rescue you and be your servant and be your sufferer and be your sacrifice and your savior? It's the question we have to answer as we leave here tonight. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this time in your word. We thank you for the prophet Isaiah, who 700 years before Jesus, you came to this earth. He, he told us, he declared it. And Jesus, we thank you that you have fulfilled the law and the prophets. We thank you that you willingly went to the cross and died on our behalf. God, I pray that as we leave here, that we do leave here changed by this good news. We love you, God, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.